Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Where are we standing with the COVID-19 cases here in the Hamilton area? Well, Dr. Elizabeth Richardson joins us to provide an update for us. The province is releasing the modeling numbers to show how many Ontarians could actually die from COVID-19 in various scenarios. Is this finally going to be a wake-up call to some people? And mental health during this time has been a major concern. How can we maintain that during this pandemic? We'll speak with Steve Jordans, professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Where are we here in the Hamilton area? Well, we know about 127 positive cases. But uh, how are we dealing with this and, and how is the city dealing with this and how are you and I uh, dealing with this uh, pandemic? I want to bring Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, the Chief Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton, uh, into the conversation. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us today. Good morning. Thanks again, Bill. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about where we are and some of the statistics here. And, and statistics obviously sometimes can tell a story, but they can be misleading. I mean, you know, sometimes half the facts don't really give us a clear picture on what's going on. Uh, we know there are new cases, but you told us earlier in the week that you anticipated that as some of the test results came in. So th- th- I guess in a certain way, you're kind of predicting where that curve is going to go just based on the fact that, okay, there's going to be an influx of new data. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a there has been an influx of new data with those lab tests getting uh, caught up. And I would say, based on what we saw in the cases overnight, um, that we're pretty much there. That we were getting uh, test results from the lab that were, you know, at most about three days prior. So that's great news. You know, that if people are getting tested, they're going to get their results quickly. And of course, Ontario, uh, the province announced its online portal where you can get negative test results if you're if you're looking for them. So we'll definitely still be calling anybody who's positive to follow up. But people can go there to get their test results. And if you have a question, you could still call your public health unit. We know, you know, with libraries closed and that sort of thing, that, that some people don't have access to uh, the Internet anymore. And so we're happy to follow up those ones. I think, you know, some of the things to also think about um, in terms of the, the test results that we're seeing, there are, we know, more cases than uh, out there than, than we're reporting. And so... Um, that's because there's had to be restrictions on the, the use of the test because of the, the challenges they were having um, getting the test processed. So mm-hmm. we'll be looking forward to see, you know, is there is there an ability to start expanding in terms of that testing capacity? We're not there yet, but looking at that. Um, the other thing to think about here is what happens on the other end of things. And so we do now have 41 cases that are resolved. And so it is uh, it is good to see we're already coming through with the cases that we've been uh, we've been following because we do follow every single case uh, until they're resolved. That uh, we have 41 cases that are resolved and have done well, and uh, seven new ones yesterday. And uh, we do see for the vast majority of people that this is a this is a significant cold. This is you know it's not a fun uh, illness for many. Um, for some, it is quite mild. Um, and of course, then there are those. W- that are at higher risk of complications like pneumonia and getting really seriously ill. And those are the people who are over 70 and uh, people with chronic conditions. Sadly, the uh, the two uh, deaths that we've reported here, of course, are both uh, from uh, those long-term facilities, uh, which I guess by definition, doctor, is exactly what you had anticipated. Those are the people that are at higher risk. And, and sadly, we've seen two examples of that so far. Yeah, exactly. Those are the people that are at higher risk, people who are frail, people who are older, over than older than 65. Um, you know, we have asked, the province has asked for all people who are over 70 or people who are immunosuppressed or have these chronic conditions to really consider 
going into protective isolation. And this is where we as a community can really shine, you know, in helping those people to be able to do that. We do that uh, you know, regularly when it comes to immunizing. Our, it's a benefit for ourselves and it's a benefit for those people that can't get immunized. And so with this disease, you know, here we have a, a way that we can really support people by helping them with their groceries, by helping them, you know, pick up medications, by calling them and just keeping in touch. It's, it's a lonely world to be at home all by yourself. And I know you're going to talk about mental health later on the program. Um, and that's so very important to be thinking about, uh, you know, as we're going through all of this together, the stress, the anxiety related to it and the isolation related to it. And so it's really important that we all pull together. Well, exactly. And we've heard those stories. I know that oftentimes we tend to concentrate on the, some of the people that are flaunting this and thinking, I aren't going to do this. But there are also just as many stories that I'm hearing about, and I'm sure you are too, of people that are doing that. You know, hey, so-and-so is stuck in the house because of the so-and-so. Uh, let's get their groceries for them. I can pick up a prescription for them, whatever the case might be. There's, there's a lot of that going on these days. And it's, it's great to hear that the community is starting to pull together. Uh, and people are, let's face it, you know, for the most part, I think adhering to the restrictions that the city has put in place and to the suggestions that you and public health are putting out there to try to, to limit this and to try to, to flatten that curve. I mean, I think a lot of us get that message and we're doing what we can to get it done. Absolutely, you know, and, and we're seeing that in so many ways. And we know most of the time people do the right thing and and uh, whether it's about staying at home or um, helping out others and you know, some of us need to, a bit of a reminder about that, perhaps. And but the model, the role modeling that all of us do in in uh, reinforcing that message and in in making that the norm is so important. You know, for those few who are thinking, well, maybe this doesn't apply to me, or maybe I'll be the one that's okay, or whatever it may be that that leads them not to do it. The the fact that the rest of us are and that we're talking about it and we're we're showing that we do it is so very important in reinforcing it with everybody else. The, uh, the stats here, and you mentioned these just a second ago, Doctor, uh, confirmed 1,683 visits have been made to the two assessment centers so far, the one in the East End of Maine and, of course, uh, by St. Joe's and, of course, the West End. Uh, about 1,200 of those tests have been completed. Who is getting those tests? You just can't walk in off the street to get those. I'm, I'm still getting a lot of, of, of questions about that. Uh, you, you still need to go through a family doctor, do you not, to, as a first point, as, as, to, as a portal to get into this? Through your family doctor or through us directly? Um, through okay, our hotline. or public health. Yeah, through public health. Either, either of those, and we book into those assessment centers. We wanted them to be booked appointments so that people wouldn't be sitting in the waiting room together, and they've been trying really hard to uh, to make sure that that's reduced, um, but also to make sure that uh, the people that are that are going to those assessment centers are people who are symptomatic, who do need to be tested. And as I said, for now, the testing has been restricted because of you know needing to get through the backlog, and so having to prioritize, for example, people from long, the tests that were coming in from long-term care homes, healthcare workers, um, people who've traveled, uh, and um, we're also prioritizing our contacts uh, of cases to get them tested. Uh, but we'll be looking at, um, as Ontario has increased testing capacity, they're, they're heading towards 15,000 tests a day. Um, and as we get there, what can we do? Because we do think testing is a very important part of the process in identifying cases and uh, doing the follow-up with them, um, uh, identifying their contacts who are most likely to get sick and making sure that people are isolated. So while we are expecting that numbers will continue to rise over the, the coming days, we um, also want to look at what more can we do in terms of containing the spread as much as possible. 
we've been told, I think most of us are aware now of, of some of the symptoms uh, that, that, that we should be looking for. We've talked about, obviously, fever is one of them and a cough and, and a number of different things. How many of those boxes do you have to check before you think, maybe I better get checked out here? Really, any one of the, the three big ones, fever, uh, cough. Now, some people will have a chronic cough, um, but anything that's new or changed about it should trigger it, or feeling short of breath. Um, those are sort of the big three. They're the big three that we see in the cases that present. People do often have other um, symptoms that go along with it, like a sore throat or a runny nose or um, even some some stomach problems. And so if you have those along with it, don't think that that might, means that it's not it. <laughs> um, regardless of whatever virus you do have, you know, it's really so important that if you feel symptoms at all, stay home, isolate, isolate yourself from your family members as well as um, from others. We unfortunately still do see that some people are going out, maybe even going to work um, while they're symptomatic. So it's so very important that you stay home. But those those three, fever, cough, and difficulty breathing are, are the top ones that really uh, we see in the, in the COVID-19 patients. This is a, an interesting exercise as I'm listening to you with your uh, information sessions all the time, doctor, and, and of course watching some of the folks on the national and provincial uh, stages, uh, those medical officers of health as they give us some daily briefings. Uh, you're, you're almost fighting this on two fronts here right now. First of all, as you said, there's the containment and try to flatten the curve, but there's a, another body of, of, of work going on right now to try to discover more about this virus. Uh, which is, uh, you know, very, very important too. You know, the questions I've heard over the last little while, is this going to come back? Is there going to be a second wave? Is this going to die out and we'll never hear of it again? Uh, we don't know much about this right now, do we? No, we don't know those things yet. You know, that's the thing. This virus just emerged um, in December was when it was emerging in China. And, you know, January, got, it came out on the world stage in terms of it being there and being a new virus. And, and so you think it's just been about three and a half months that we've we've really known about this virus and, and the amount of work that has gone on to understand it, to to characterize it, as we say, to understand, you know, how long does it take to get sick, how long are you usually sick for, but there's so much more science yet to do. And you've seen some really great work being done by our colleagues at McMaster and yeah. collaborating with others in Toronto and around the world. The collaboration on this is amazing, of course, because the imperative is there. It's so very important that we understand this one so we can control it. One of the, I want to use a term that the health minister, uh, Minister Haydu, used yesterday during her media conference, and, and get your uh, your take on this. And they, they they asked her about herd mentality, which of course we've heard about with other uh, viruses and, and things that we've had to deal with in the past. And it's actually one of the strong arguments for immunization when, in fact, we finally get a vaccine for this. But she suggested that. As this spreads, uh, and I'm trying to paraphrase this so it doesn't sound like I'm being flippant or she was being flippant, uh, if a lot of people, 60 to 70% of the population, do get this, and that, she doesn't mean severely, that actually moves us towards that herd immunity because all of a sudden, and, uh, you know, we're, we've got that, that, that defense against that right now, and it may actually mitigate a, a second wave if it were to come. I know it's getting a little bit technical, but, I mean, there's a, a, an upside and a downside to what's going on here, isn't there? Absolutely, you know, and, and that's what one of the things we're trying to discover with all of this is, is once you've had the virus, do you stay immune? And uh, and we see that, you know, that's why we immunize people against measles and chickenpox and all of those sorts of things because immunity is so important. And it is that, that phenomenon that if you get enough people who are actually immune to the virus, um, then the likelihood of spread 
decreases. And so that is this trade-off. The thing that we want to do is build up that herd immunity if it turns out that that is indeed going to work, that we build up that herd immunity um, slowly over time because inevitably, given that uh, there are people who get uh, very sick with it and, uh, and need to have ventilators and ICU care, we want to do that slowly enough that we don't overwhelm the system as it goes. And of course, the people we most want to protect, the 30% who don't ever get it, are the people who are at greatest risk of complications, at greatest risk of ending up on those ventilators. And we just talked about those two levels and two parallel paths, actually the third one, which is, of course, the development of the vaccine. Uh, and there's still many, many people that are working on that. And you, I'm, I'm glad you referenced the people at McMaster because they're taking a leading uh, role in, in what's happening there, too, with the, that kind of science that's happening here. Fascinating to see, though, uh, how this is all whirling out. Uh, and we've talked about projections and where this is going to go. And I guess the message uh, that we need to, to talk about here once again, because uh, you can't say this often enough, is anytime you look at projections as to where this might go in four or five months or three months or whatever the projection is going to be, uh, it's 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 a best guess in this situation based on mathematical equations. But we can still impact that with with what we're doing individually, can't we? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is people who love math, and the former associate medical officer David Fisman is one of those, and he's out there working on these models. And we're going to hear more from the premier today in terms of all the work they've been. Uh, having done on this to look at the model. But ultimately, um, whatever they may may show, the work that we're doing, the uh, actions that people, people are taking, the social distancing, the isolating yourself if you're sick, and you know, isolating yourself if you're a contact, um, all of those things make a difference. They change the curves. So that's one of the variables that people are using in the modeling is, you know, how much um, can we get people to do these things in order to blunt those curves? Because we know it works. We've seen it. Uh, when people have looked at the results coming out of China and out of places like South Korea, um, it really makes a difference. And so it really is true that this is in all of our hands together. We're in this together, and we can make a difference together. I'm reminded of the uh, the classic scene uh, when Scrooge is uh, at the graveyard. There were the, the ghost of Christmas to come. And he says, Spirit, are these things that are going to happen or things that might happen? And, and, and I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves right now. You know, if we do follow the advice of, of physical distancing and, and the, the other things in isolation that we can do, you're going to have an impact on that curve. Absolutely, absolutely. Well said. Uh, we shall carry on. And, uh, Doctor, we would thank you and your staff and, and everybody who else is involved in this. I know this is a, an, an onerous task for just about everybody involved. And, and, you know, we don't spend enough time, I think, talking about the, the frontline workers, especially in healthcare, but even in public health that are doing this and tracking this on a daily basis, too, on a community level. Uh, keep it up. Uh, stay healthy. And uh, we'll talk again in a few days. Appreciate the time today. Sounds good. Thank you, Bill. Take care. Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, of course, the uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Later this afternoon, uh, the Ontario Premier, Doug Ford, will have his uh, his usual uh, presser, and he is telling us then that he's going to have some information about the uh, the trending that's going on here and uh, the projections as to what they want to see, the modeling numbers, uh, which uh, I guess some people are going to look at uh, with some trepidation. But uh, numbers are numbers. It's what we want to do about you know impacting those numbers. But there's some other concerns that need to be addressed here in situations like this. Uh, uh, and Andrea Horvath, the leader of the opposition for the Ontario NDP, joins us uh, on the Bill Kelly Show to bring some of those up. Andrea, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. 
Absolutely, I am, Bill. I hope you are, too. Uh, safe at home right now. We're uh, social isolating here and just doing what we need to do. Everybody has to do their part. Uh, you raised an interesting point. I, I know that uh, the, the, the opposition had been talking to the government about re- releasing some of these modeling numbers, and, and, and there's some disgrace, discrepancy, rather, about you know whether or not these are going to be effective or they're actually going to tell a true story. But I think they actually will give us a clearer picture as to where we're going and where we need to, to be prepared to, if we're going down that road. Uh, I, I know the University of Toronto, the, the, the Dalai Lana School of Public Health, has already done their own modeling. Uh, and come up with some statistics that they're projecting we're going to need about 3,000 acute care and critical care beds to handle the surge of COVID-19. But uh, it'd be interesting to see just where the government's information is and, and where they see us going. No, there, there's no doubt. And, uh, and, and there's no reason uh, not to provide those numbers. In fact, uh, uh, other provinces have been a lot more transparent a lot earlier on. Uh, and so it's, it's certainly time that the government comes clean on what the heck's going on out there so that so that people can do, you know, what they need to do to be a part of the solution. And, and I guess, you know, although lots of folks, and we have to be, I think, very grateful, lots of folks are doing their part. And as you said off the hop, you're socialized living at home. So am I. I'm doing the same thing. So are lots and lots of people. But we still hear reports of folks that are not, uh, that people that just aren't getting how serious this is. And so providing those projections, and you're, you know, again, you're correct. Uh, it's not just for the sake of providing the information, but... Uh, hopefully what those projections will show is, you know, what will happen uh, if there's a status quo response, you know, we're doing what we're doing now, uh, what will happen if we do much, much better, uh, and what will happen if we start to backslide, and what does, how does these different things impact, uh, you know, the scenarios going forward, and I think people, you know, need that information so they can make the right decisions, but also, you know, we have a lot of frontline healthcare workers and a lot of people that are you know, adjusting, and not just frontline health care, well, there's all through the system, public health and administration and hospitals and clinics, and those folks need to have a good sense of what's happening as well uh, to constantly adjust and readjust the plans they're making to keep us safe. Well, exactly, and I, I think we owe it to those people that are on the front line. And and uh, you're talking about the healthcare workers, and certainly they're they're right at the top of the list, and first responders, all of them. But the other people that are still in what are deemed to be essential services that are going to work every day, and I know there's some concern that's being raised about that in different circles. We uh, talked to a number of people in the construction industry yesterday uh, that had some concerns about working conditions and things of those nature, and those those need to be addressed. But there's another group, Andrea, that I wanted to talk to you about here, and that's city workers. Uh, we've talked about some of the city services being clawed back right now simply because every oh, city hall is closed essentially right now aside from skeleton staff that are there uh, but some of the other work that goes on on a daily basis right now uh, and this sounds to me as if this is one of these groups uh, meaning the, the, the people that work for the city that may fall through the cracks here. They've talked about assistance for uh, for the restaurant industry, and that's great. They need to do something like that. They've talked about something for small businesses, and that's a great idea too. But they haven't talked about compensating or helping out cities to keep people on staff there. And the, the possibility of, of massive layoffs at the city level is really there. As a matter of fact, my understanding is it's already started happening in Windsor. Yeah, I mean, we heard about that too. And we're, trying, we're urging the provincial government, uh, the board government, to step up to the plate and uh, and ask uh, and, and, and let the municipalities know that uh, the, per- the province will be there uh, to backstop any increase in uh, costs or, or just backstop payroll uh, for cities because you know, having been there, SDY, uh, cities can't run deficits. And so 
uh, if, if cities are in a situation where they're, you know, they're they're missing various fees and, and things like that, and they're they're overspending in lots of other areas to keep people safe and to provide service on the front lines of this disease, then um, then what what we need to do is make sure that those employees who are you know, not working but and being sent home are still able to get a paycheck. And, uh, and that is so important. I mean, we don't know how long this thing is going to last. If we're asking employers, if the federal government is asking employers to step up, keep people on payroll, and that the government of Canada will uh, contribute 75% of, uh, of the payroll costs to these companies that they keep, they keep their staff on payroll, then certainly we should be doing the same thing uh, with, a, with a complete uh, funding of, of payroll for municipalities um, because it, 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 it's really important that people have income in their pockets, that their level of um, security, financial security, is completely decimated. Um, and, you know, and these are people who provide us our public services day in and day out uh, in good times and bad, and, and they deserve to, you know, to have uh, some security as well. So that's, I think that's a completely reasonable request. Um, and we should be letting municipalities know not to be laying off their staff. Certainly send them home, have them distancing, and if they can't, you know, do their, their normal type of work um, from home, then they should still, uh, you know, be able to receive their, their pay and the, the province should step in and, uh, and support the municipality's costs in that regard. Well, exactly, because, I mean, you know, we've talked about, you know, small business as, as employers. Well, the city's an employer as well. And I've, I've talked this week with Mayor Eisenberger and Mayor Ward from Burlington, uh, and, and they've mentioned the same thing. I mean, because of the closure of some city facilities, there's a lot less income coming in than they thought. There are canceled contracts that they're going to have to offer refunds for. Cities are going to be in a cash crunch here right now, and I haven't heard anything from the province yet to say, don't worry, we got your back on this. And, boy, that's, that's something I think needs to be addressed. No, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, the, the fewer people that we have to send to EI, and let's face it, EI is only 55% of your income. So we've been trying to get the government of Ontario to uh, commit to, um, you know, to looking at, you know, some kind of uh, health in that regard as well. But, uh, but, but, you know, it just makes so much sense to have cities, uh, you know, given the support that they need by the government of Ontario so that, uh, so that these folks uh, don't have to worry about where their, uh, where their income is coming from. And, of course, as we know, I mean, those federal programs are, you know, they're good, but they're, um, they've been taking a, taking a long time to, to get to people's pockets. You know, we see other governments, uh, British Columbia, Quebec, Alberta, Saskatchewan, all of those governments have had direct uh, income supplements to uh, people in their communities. So some of them include uh, direct, uh, you know, income supplements. Some of them are direct rent supplements or, or uh, subsidies, uh, and some are both. Um, you know, because they recognize that getting people through this uh, for the next couple of months is going to be extremely important. Um, and the last thing we want is families to be absolutely destitute uh, at the end of this process, just like we don't want all the small and medium-sized businesses that tend to be the backbone of our economy, um, you know, completely um, completely decimated, right? Completely unable to uh, to start up uh, uh, their, um, you know, their businesses again. So. These are why these programs are important. This is why it's important for government to step in uh, to try to ensure that when we do get over it, uh, we we you know we are not as damaged as, as uh, we possibly could be, uh, both economically and uh, and financially for families. Well, when we run into a crisis situations such as we are right now, and we can talk specifically about Ontario, I know this is a global crisis, but nonetheless, how it's impacting us. 
what it does, Andrew, is it underscores the problems that already existed, things like affordability, uh, housing, uh, you know, health care for, for people that are disadvantaged and all of these sorts of things. Those problems are there, and they're as, actually magnified in a circumstance like this. And uh, I, I, I guess we have to ask ourselves just where the government has that stuff on their priority list, or hopefully it is on their priority list. It's, it's a discussion that I haven't heard yet, and, and I think we need to, because there's an awful lot of people right now that are wondering, hey, what about us? And uh, I, I agree with you, by the way. Uh, the, you know, the fact that it may take weeks for some of these things to actually start to filter down to the people that need it, the money that's needed. Uh, I think in a circumstance like this, the, the, the better tact here is to simply give the money out there and do the evaluation later on. Uh, you know, you don't have to process everything and make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed in situations like that. Just get the money out the door as quickly as possible and, and try to help the people that really need it. No, there's, there's no doubt about it. You're absolutely right. And you are, you are, you're correct as well. I mean, when you see you what's happening now, um, you know, years and years of, uh, of little to no uh, real uh, support for the lowest income people, people on OW, people on um, ODSP, you know, who are receivers of those income support programs, uh, you know, they're, you know, they're devastated in week one, really. Um, when you see the, the massive underfunding of our healthcare system that has been going on for over a decade now, hospital budget freezes, the lack of funding into long-term care, uh, lack of PSWs because it's a terrible job and, um, and it's uh, not well paid and, and it's, a, it's not full-time work. And so these are people that take care of our seniors. You know what I'm saying? And so these are systems that have been hanging by a thread for far too long. And now, of course, when something like this hits, you can see just how vulnerable, uh, you know, governments have, um, have left these uh, systems become. Well, we'll uh, keep an eye on uh, what's going to happen with the Premier later on today and uh, see if we can get some of these issues addressed. Andrea, as always, thank you so much for the time. Stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk again soon. My pleasure as well. So you stay healthy, healthy as well. Thank you. Andrea Horvath, of course, leader of the opposition uh, at uh, the Ontario government at Queen's Park. Uh, interesting dynamic that's occurring, and we've, we've talked about this, but it, it seems to be something that's ongoing right now. Is, is this concern always is, uh, because we've seen a lot of political backbiting uh, that's gone on in the last couple of years, especially when you've got uh, one government of one ilk here in Ontario and a federal government of the other. And in this case, it's the Liberals in Ottawa and the Conservatives here. It's been reversed in the past, but there's also always been some, some acrimonious of dialogue that's gone back and forth, but I think what's impressed an awful lot of people over the last couple of weeks especially is the lack of partisanship and almost a sense of, of co cooperation between uh, this Ontario government and the federal government. And uh, a number of people have written about this and uh, wondering just how far this is going to go and how effective it's going to be to try to address some of the problems we've just talked about. I want to bring Richard Brennan into the conversation. Uh, Richard, of course, is a retired journalist with the Toronto Star, covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years. Uh, Badger, thank you so much for the time. I hope you're uh, staying healthy. Yeah, I am, Bill, yourself. Excellent, excellent. Just uh, all physical distancing. That's that's the key and washing hands. I'm washing my hands as I'm talking to you, as a matter yeah, of fact. There you go. Listen, I saw your tweet earlier this morning, and, and it was in referencing to a piece that was in the Toronto Star today. Uh, and and it's, I, I think the, the quote you used was, uh, you know, crisis creates strange partnerships and strange bedfellows. Uh, there seems to be a pretty, I, I think, mutual admiration society right now between Doug Ford and Christia Freeland as they're working together on this. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, well, that, that's a hard one to believe, but I, I think there's a, a real growing respect out there for Christia Freeland. I mean, having to, you know, deal with the... Uh, with in Washington to come up with a deal 
for the North American treat deal. You know, I mean, for her to have to work with those guys down there must have been something else, but she did. And, and you know, and she's uh, uh, between her and Doug Ford, like I said in that tweet, is there's, you know, it's a, a strange coupling, if you will, but it, you know, it's, it is what the time calls for, Bill. People out there don't want this political wrangling. That's the last thing they need when, you know, in this crisis, this, uh, you know, coronavirus crisis. And I think they're, you know, they're being adults. Like, there's, for a change, there's some adults in the room, and they're acting like that. And that's good for, and that's good for us and good for, you know, the, the fight against this, this virus. Well, because we've seen the polar opposite of that, of course, south of the border, where the president is still politicizing uh, the, the the pandemic down there and taking shots at Nancy Pelosi and whoever else he feels like, uh, and, and well, right now Governor Cuomo of New York, and it's going on like this. And I thought, God help us if it starts happening here. But but the the people that have become the uh, the the cooperative effort here, I mean, even Jason Kenney to a certain extent in Alberta and Premier Mo in Saskatchewan, they, they seem to be able to say, okay, let's put that aside. We'll get back to that later on we've still got our differences and we'll, we'll get to those but this is job one right now and i i'm i'm as one person pre- very appreciative that that's the attitude that everybody seems to be taking now well bill it's going to take cooperation from all sides to get through this fighting's not going to do it we see what's like you, you point out what's happening in the united states with it with president trump you know blaming cuomo for asking for too much and you know and blaming governors elsewhere for whining and i mean who needs that right now certainly certainly the public doesn't want it and it's it's to our benefit that all and, and you know and i give great credit to all the uh premiers and, and politicians involved in this fight if they are cooperating because I tell you, we're going to find out today, Bill. Later on, you know the real numbers here. You know this modeling in terms of just how serious this situation is, and the fact that you know it could have been maybe a lot more serious. Now, in fact, I'm sure it would have been a lot more serious if people hadn't cooperated, if politicians hadn't cooperated, if people right across the country hadn't joined hands and said, you know, we're in this together. Let's let's get on with it. Well, and we've seen that sense of cooperation. I mean, even last weekend, as uh, uh, we heard the Quebec Premier talking about the fact that they were basically running out of supplies, he said probably another three or four days' worth. And uh, it was it was the Ontario government that stepped up and said, hey, we know a guy. <laughs> Call this guy, and, and they can help you out. And it worked out. We didn't give them the stuff, but I mean, but they're the supplier, and we gave them that contact number, which seemed to stem the, the, the problem for at least a little while anyway. And that seems to be the sense of cooperation that's dominating what's going on now. Well, it, you know, it's... It's so serious. I mean, I don't know, you know, I, even myself, I, you know, two weeks ago, did I think it was as serious as I do now? No. And I think I'm, a lot, you know, in the same boat with a lot of people. But, boy, now we know with ventilators, running out of ventilators, if you or I were to come, come down with it tomorrow, Bill, we not, might not have a ventilator available to us. Well, and that was one of the things that Governor Cuomo mentioned. He, of course, does his daily thing, too, and he, he was quite you know, direct about that yesterday. He says, you know, if there are 10 people there and there's one ventilator, nine of them are going to die. 
uh, and that's yeah. that's a pretty stark thing to say. But I mean, that's that's the reality that they're facing. But I think I think we understand the gravity of this now, and I, I get the sense that uh, that we're starting to do it. I'm seeing a lot more people that are now adhering to the physical distancing, and and they are doing uh, the the things that they need to do, staying in the house or whatever, only going out when they absolutely need to. I, I think we're getting that, which is uh, why I, I know we're going to get these numbers from from the premier later on this afternoon. But we can have an impact on this, and I think a lot of us understand that now. If we can just do our part, and you know, there's always a, hey, what can one person do? Well, that's what one person can do, and uh, and I, I, I'm sensing that. And we let's face it, we learn and we take our our cue from our our, our leaders. And and right now on this side of the border, I think we're getting some pretty strong leadership, as you mentioned, from just about everybody: premiers, the prime minister, and the prime minister's office, and of course, Christy Freeland as well. Well, the thing is, it's. We, I think we've been smacked upside the head, kind of, and, and it's, we're coming, it's coming to, you know, we're seeing how serious it is. And in that sense, thanks to large part, in large part, to the politicians, you know, including Doug Ford, Premier Ford has done a good job of making people understand just how serious this is. And that will be reinforced today. I mean, this will this will you know I, I think this will be a stark reminder this afternoon just how bad this is. But he's been he's been preparing us for it, and that's been good. I mean, he's been saying all along, you know, we we're reaching you know it's going to get a heck of a lot worse, and then it's going to get before it gets better, and that's where we're at right now, and that is going to become clear. This afternoon, and and I'm sure the federal government's going to, you know, we're not the first problems to do this, by the way, Bill. No, I thought we were to, you know, give out the modeling. I guess BC and uh, somewhere else has done it before, but it's so important for people to know, and that's and that's what Doug Ford's going to reinforce this afternoon. It's so important uh, important for people to know that if we don't do this, if we don't do all the things we've been asked to do. You know, the distancing, staying in their homes, not going out unless it's absolutely necessary, then people are going to die. It's that simple. Well, I think we're starting to get that message. Uh, stay healthy. Uh, we'll uh, talk again in a couple of days. I'm sure we'll have some to discuss next week after we get a, a look at some of these numbers. Uh, thanks so much for this today, Patrick. Okay, Bill. Stay healthy. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, Richard Brennan, of course, retired journalist. And his point's well taken, by the way. He's, he's absolutely right. The uh, government of British Columbia actually did do some of their modeling and, and made those numbers public. And not, I don't think coincidentally, we saw a drop in the number of new cases there. And maybe people get the message when they actually see the numbers and say, whoa, it, it is? Okay, that's something we need to, to do something about here. Anyway, we'll see what kind of reaction we're going to get on this a little bit later on today. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. So as you're sitting here with uh, your physical distancing and uh, with your self-isolation, uh, depending on your particular circumstance, uh, this can be a little grating uh, to us as individuals. Uh, and I know that uh, even the provincial government seemed to understand that. One of the announcements they did make earlier this week here in Ontario was increased funding for, for mental health facilities and uh, for mental health assistance. Uh, because this is tough on a lot of people. Uh, joining us to talk about how we should be getting through this is uh, Steve Jordans, who is a professor of psychology at the University of uh, Toronto. Uh, professor, thank you for the time. I'm glad you could hop on today. Yeah, no problem. Great to be with you. Well, this is a, a problem that maybe we're not thinking of as a priority right now, but on an individual basis, 
the you know the, we're we're social beings by nature, I think, and the fact that we're being told now don't be social for a while uh, it seems contrary to an awful lot of our our, our our psyches right now. How do we deal with something like that? Yeah, well, I mean that's one rule I would go against, <laughs> but in the sense of don't be social. So you know we have this term social distancing, but um, it really should be the term physical distancing. We don't want to be too yeah. close to somebody else physically. But socially, this is this is a time for socially connecting. Um, one of the best natural reactions we have to stress and anxiety, and and to sort of dissipate it, is to connect emotionally with other human beings. Uh, and so I, I, that's very important now. Things like rediscovering the telephone, where you can actually hear the tone of a person's voice, and you know sharing some of your concerns and and talking things through with with loved ones and such, is is actually one uh, strategy you can use to to keep yourself on a sort of even keel during these crazy times i I mean it it may be the silver lining in a situation like this i mean if we were in a situation like this with a pandemic 40 50 years ago uh there wasn't a whole lot in the way of communication other than that i mean and and isolationism was really going to be a problem still is of course but you're right there are a lot more tools at at our disposal now aren't there yeah, and but but I mean one of the things I would I would have us think about we always want to you know think about access issues and in this case you know a lot of our older population who are the most at risk and are probably you know feeling the most anxious about this um, some of them are not so technology savvy so the idea of using yeah. Zoom or something like that you know is is not a natural part of their world and that that's kind of why I'm suggesting hey let's rediscover the telephone and you know a really great thing for any family who's going through this to do um i'm i'm not exactly sure how to facilitate this but would be to adopt somebody uh who's who is kind of alone and who may not be so tech savvy and you know once a day to call that person and check in and and to explain to your kids that this is something we're doing to to help this person feel less lonely it'll actually feel to you and your kids like it's something you're doing and when we all feel this anxiety that we feel it's kind of like our body screaming at us do something and every time we find something to do that's a little productive um, that makes us feel a lot better so it's so it's a great behavior all around if we can connect with people that really you know may have a harder time uh, connecting with others right now there's a a barrier here, I think, that's been set up when we're into kind of a shutdown mode as we are societally right now because of what's going on with the pandemic. Uh, some of those services that might be available may not be as readily accessible right now, which I thought was good to see the federal government and the provincial government both dedicating money. I know the prime minister talked about uh, more money for the kids' helpline and, and other yeah. services like that. We really need to lean on those services now, don't we? We we do, and and I also think I mean I'll mention something much more benign. I just created a free online sure. course. It's on the Coursera network, which is C O U R S E R A dot org. Um, and so if you search COVID or my name Jordans, uh, you'll find it. So it's a free course where I, where I just kind of go through in a very um, I, I hope clear way what the anxiety response is, uh, which is just a fight or flee response, right? It's just what we have in our bodies to react to things like predators jumping out at us. Problem is this freaking predator is, is just hanging around. Uh, and so the system mm-hmm. remains engaged. Uh, and so once people understand how it works, uh, there's a number of strategies I, I talk about through the course that will make sense to them um, in terms of learning to m- manage their own mental state, manage their own anxiety. And I think this is a good opportunity for a family, you know, where where it's not like, oh, um, you know, little Joey seems to have an issue with with anxiety or something. It's like, no, no, we're all living in a very anxious situation. Let's together 
learn some of these strategies. Um, and, you know, there's the potential that this could be a way of getting a much more broad um, in IQ about um, literally mental health. Uh, so that's what I'm, I'm hoping and trying to contribute. That's sort of my little part is to try to get that mental health IQ up. And, and maybe a lot of us can learn to kind of take care of ourselves like we do physically. Well, and more interaction would not be a bad thing, would it? I mean, I, I always tell the story. I remember going into a restaurant, this is a couple of months ago, and a family of four sat across from us. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as they got there, they all took their phones out. Yeah. And they didn't talk to each other at all through the whole meal. They, yeah. they stopped on their phones while they ate, but then, you know, back to their phones again. We're being forced together now, so let's let's talk with each other. Yeah, you're being forced together, and in many situations, that professional side of us, which is what we give all our best time to in, in a usual day, um, is gone. Uh, and so suddenly we have, you know, the midday when we're intellectually feeling strong, when we're physically got a little bit more energy. And, yeah, we can spend that time with family, um, finding things to do. If Anytime you can find some challenge to, by the way, kind of take on together, be it learning something or, or whatnot, that really kind of brings people together. And, yeah, my always my last tip in all of these things is, is this is really a time to attend to those silver linings. We know there's a big black cloud out there, um, and, and our brain doesn't have to be told that as often as it is. Uh, we know about the threat, but those silver linings that, c- that can come through here are things we should be attending to and appreciating um, as we go through and not just thinking about all the, all the negativity. Well, exactly, and you're right. Everybody's scenario is different. I mean, yeah. you know, there's the threat of the virus itself. There's some people have been laid off, and, and that only exacerbates the concern right now. And I guess the the takeaway here is, if you know somebody like that, check in on them, make sure they're okay. Yeah, check in on them, and 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 maybe um, you know, talk to if if somebody takes this course, they will learn some basic strategies. Maybe share some of these strategies um, with them. And, and by the way, they're just simple things like, you know, put on if you're so inclined, the Beatles number one album, which is all their number one hits, and you probably know the words to every song, at least if you're of a certain age. Um, and singing is just such a powerful sort of stress, um, you know, reducer and, and opposite of stress, as it were. And so there's some very easy things you can do to spend a little part of your day escaping all this negativity and literally allowing your mind to escape the anxiety, feeling a little bit of pleasure. And those are the sorts of things you can you can learn to kind of manage your mind. And I, I literally call the course Mind Control. Um, because I kind of think of it that way. It's, it's time we learn to take control of our minds and not just let them run free like we usually do. Okay, got a couple seconds left. And where can they find the course again? So it's on a platform called Coursera. So C O U R S E R A dot org. Uh, so course with R A dot org. And if you searched mind control, that would probably be the easiest one, and you'll you'll stumble okay. across it. Yeah. Professor, uh, congratulations on this. This is going to be a very useful tool for an awful lot of people. Thanks so much for taking some time with us today. Thank you. Uh, stay healthy, everyone. You too. Professor Steve Jordans from the University of Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.